Good morning, Christian Family Chapel. Great to have you with us again this morning. And I'm glad to be back after a couple weeks off. And I realized this morning as we were worshiping, what I wish I would have told you before we started this morning, and that is my two weeks off, though I wasn't here, I was here in Jackson at home, and, and so I worshiped with you, live streamed the last two weeks, and I realized this morning, uh, I'm in here singing at the top of my lungs, but when I was at my house, uh, I did what I told you to do, and I sang along, but it was kind of like, you know, because not very loudly, and then I thought, well, duh, it's because I had the live stream on at talking volume, not singing volume. So think about when you are like going at it in your car, you probably have the volume cranked a little bit more than you do if you're listening to talk radio. So here's a little suggestion. I know it's a little late, but here's what I've learned. And we're going to worship at the end. So I, I want to encourage you. We're going to worship at the end. Have your remote ready. And when I'm done talking... Uh, turn the volume up because you don't want me yelling at you, but you're going to engage more in your living room if you can't hear you. And so crank up the volume. Uh, I wish I'd have told you that before, but you know, we get to learn along the way. So uh, we're going to go back to Genesis. We, two weeks ago, took a break from Genesis last week in, for Mother's Day. Go back to Genesis. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter uh, 6. Yes, I, I know we already went through that. I want us to remind, remember, here's what we learned so far in Genesis chapter 6. We're introduced to a coming global judgment. And we're introduced to an ark of deliverance. And we're introduced to a man who is instructed to build it. So uh, that's a very brief summary of Genesis 6. Uh, A global flood, uh, an ark of deliverance, and a man named Noah to build it. And here is why I want us to focus on Noah in Genesis chapter 7 and 8 this morning. Because this, no matter what challenges you're facing in life right now. Noah's were bigger, dramatically. And and, and so think about, just to make this real personal, uh, this is not just a history lesson. I want you to think about what, what is challenging you to live by faith right now. Is it finances? Is it employment? Is it your health? Is it your singleness or your marriage or your kids or the unknowns of the summer, the fall? Are you going to go to school? Are you going to go to school? Are you going to watch school? So many unknowns. And I want us, I want you to think about those and then recognize Noah's were bigger. And when I say that, here's what I mean. If you're not familiar with Noah, Noah was warned of an unprecedented global judgment and that there would have an unprecedented global impact that everything was going to die. And he was then instructed to build an unprecedented boat. We call it the ark. A boat like you and I can hardly imagine. A boat the size that people travel all across the country to go see the recreation of it. And 
He was to host a zoo of unprecedented proportions. You're getting a sense of, wow, Noah had quite the challenge. And to top it all off, and this is often what makes our challenges so hard. Even right now, the challenge that we're facing with COVID-19, the hardest thing about this is this, for an undisclosed amount of time, if we could just say, hey, July 1, everything's going to be back to normal, we could hunker down, do what we needed to do, and just get to July 1. But it's like July 1, June 1, August 1, September 1, 2021, ah, it's, it's hard. And yet, think about what was on Noah's plate. The weight of the world on his shoulders. And the deliverance of his family on his shoulders. And the responsibility for the animal kingdom on his shoulders. So, you get the size of Noah's challenges. I am not suggesting that, therefore, because your challenges are not as big as Noah's, that they don't matter. I'm not making light of them. They're big in my life, and they're big in your life. And I'm not suggesting... Hey, other people have had it worse. Just get over it and get on with it. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I think life's bad, I should go look at people who have it worse and then feel better about that. I don't want to feel better because people have it worse. I want to watch. I want to learn from Noah who faced much bigger, dramatically bigger challenges than, than I could ever imagine and say, Noah, how'd you do it? How'd you deal with this? So I can learn what I can do to <clears throat> bring faith into my challenges. You catch it? <clears throat> I don't want us to use Noah's to put a shadow or to dismiss. I want us to learn from Noah. So that we can say, how do we live by faith in whatever the challenges are that are in my life? Because there's <clears throat> some that are now and there are some that are next week that we're not going to know about. <laughs> know about. That was just not intended. Okay. So <clears throat> maybe you would agree with me with this question. Did Noah demonstrate great faith? And I think the answer is easy to that. Did Noah, in light of an unprecedented warning to an unprecedented global impact, to build an unprecedented boat, to host an unprecedented zoo for an undisclosed amount of time, did he exhibit, demonstrate great faith? And the answer is an absolute easy, yes, of course he did. He did because Hebrews 11 says, Noah had faith. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And maybe even more important than that, it says in Genesis 6.22, if you are there, here's how the, the chapter ends. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. So he demonstrates great faith. But 
Now, listen, great faith is often misunderstood. So if you're frying bacon, stop. If you were about to go get a cup of coffee, stop. Because if we think, well, Noah demonstrated great faith, and I don't know that I have great faith, then he becomes somebody to admire, not to learn from, not to relate to. So, pause, whatever you're trying to multitask with, and please give me your full attention, because I want us to define what it means about having great faith, because we usually misunderstand. In fact, the apostles misunderstood. They say in Luke chapter 17, Lord, increase our faith. We have some faith, but we need more faith. We need bigger faith. Now, what prompted that? Well, they say increase our faith because here's what he had just said. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, say it with me, forgive him. And now here's where it gets a little tricky. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times in one day, saying, I repent, forgive him. And what do they say? <laughs> Increase our faith. Meaning what? Jesus, we may have faith for one forgiveness or two, or if we're like really, really had a great quiet time that morning, three forgivenesses in one day. But we don't have enough faith to forgive somebody who wrongs us seven times and then says they're sorry in that same day. If I can visualize it, they are saying, here's how much faith we have. If you can't see that, see it? Cherry. Here's how much faith we have. Who? But here's how much faith we need. Here's the faith we have to forgive. Here's the faith we need to forgive, like you've said. Increase my faith. And Noah's faith, he had like so much faith. I could never do what he did. You ever look at somebody who you thought was more spiritual than you and said, I just wouldn't have the faith. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do what Noah did. I couldn't do what Abraham did. You see, we tend to think about people in relation to the size of their faith. And we go, Bible characters, watermelon faith, missionaries, mango faith, me and my little faith. That's why I always thought about it and, and pray, uh, probably how you thought about it. And Jesus going to blow this up. In response to Lord, increase our faith. You know what he says? If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. <laughs> That's 
lots more supernatural than like forgiving somebody. <laughs> and Jesus says, and I had to tape it to a three by five card because if I'd had a mustard seed in my basket here, you wouldn't be able to see it. Well, I wouldn't have been able to find it. And so I had to tape it here and you're going, I can't see it. I just, I just see a, a blank piece of well, three by five card. Well, I don't know. Trust me, there is a mustard seed, the tip of a pencil point, taped to this three by five card. And Jesus says to those who go, I only got cherry faith and I need some mango faith. Here's how much faith you need. So, when we think about Noah, as we look at him in seven and eight, you may be thinking, I've only got this, and Noah had this, and so he could deal with life's problems. And I can't. Great news for you. Jesus says, this is how much faith you need. Why? We're going to go to Noah in a moment, but we got to get this. Here's why a mustard seed of faith is enough. Because God working in our life is not about the size of our faith. It's about the size of our God. It's the size of our God that matters, not the size of our faith. Jesus is saying, if you think you need more faith, that means you think I'm fairly unreliable. You get that, right? You see... <laughs> If I'm standing by the car that I had bought when I was 16 years old, and I say to you, this is a very, very, very unreliable car, I say to you, yeah, I'm going to drive this across the country, you would be inclined to go, whew, I take a lot of faith. Really? Does a lot of faith in an unreliable car make the car any more reliable? Doesn't, does it? It's the same car. Doesn't matter how much faith I put in it, it can still break down. Does a little faith in a reliable car make it less reliable? No. Uh, now, check, it does mean that if I have a little faith in a reliable car, because my little faith, I might not drive my reliable car as much as I could. But it doesn't change the reliability of it. See, what Jesus is saying, and what I think is so true, is we, so important as we look at the life of Noah, is this. It's about our God not about our faith. A mustard seed is enough because of how great our God is. That is so important for three reasons. One, because we should think biblically. And this is unbiblical thinking. Second, when we think about the size of our faith instead of the size of our God, uh, we are putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You got that? We're supposed to put the emphasis on the correct syllable, not the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Are you catching me? <laughs> when we 
put the emphasis on the size of our faith. We're emphasizing the wrong thing. It's about the size of our God. And third, I think this is so important because if we'll get this right, living like Noah did in the face of unprecedented challenges, living in the face of whatever challenges that you are experiencing right now is now accessible. Because if we think we need this, we go, I can't. But if we understand, Jesus says, we need this. Now, a life of faith in the midst of whatever challenges I am facing or will face whatever, whenever. It's about the size of my, oh, I wish you were in the room, the size of my God, not the size of my faith. So, what does, with that understanding, oh, by the way, if you are thinking right now, hey, but then why did Jesus say to some people, great faith, and then say to other people, little faith, because he does. If you want to know the answer to that, uh, if somebody texts me that question, I will answer that during the Q&A. But somebody's got to test text me the question. And I think there's a, a number on the screen. You can text as we say, as we go through any question, and then we'll do the Q&A at the end, okay? So if you have a question about why did Jesus say great faith or little faith, then text it, and we'll talk about that in Q&A. All right, to the life of Noah in Genesis chapter 7. It starts verse 1 like this. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. So he has spent all these years, but it doesn't say exactly how many years, but he has spent all these years building the boat. It's now time to get in. So the Lord said, enter the ark, verse 1. Drop down to verse 4. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Now, whether he sat on the boat waiting for it, rain seven days, or he said, enter it, because it's going to take seven days for you to load that baby, it's a little unclear. But he's saying, it's time to get on. So, he gets on. Drop down to verse 16. Those that entered, male and female, so it's Noah, his three sons, Noah, excuse me, Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives. Uh, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. What's it? The door. So they all get on, all the animals and the family, and the Lord closes the door. I don't know why. I don't know. Okay, so you don't need to text me that one. I don't know why he closed the door. It just says he closed the door. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. Verse 18, the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark, say it, because it's pretty cool, the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that 
all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Specific, verse 20. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains, all of them, were covered. And all flesh that moved on the earth perished. I feel the weight of that. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth. And all mankind perished. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. So the coming judgment that God had declared, it came. And only those on the ark survived. So what do we learn from Noah about a mustard seed of faith in the face of whatever challenges? First, Noah's life teaches us that in the face of life's many challenges, large and small, and we all get different sizes, we can first believe God's word entirely. We can believe his word entirely. Now, that may, that, that may seem so, oh, come on, really, Doug? That's the point, elementary stuff? <laughs> that's why Jesus said, let the... Little children, come to me. Why? (laughs) Let those who will believe my word entirely come to me. This isn't complicated. You know what makes it complicated? When you and I think, "Eh, I don't know about that part. Uh, I'm not sure that's really what he means. I'm not sure. I, I know God says... And then we follow with that great conjunction. But, and that's when what is really intended, not to be easy, but simple. It's when it becomes complicated. When we think, ah, you can't just believe God's word entirely. Absolutely. That is the secret. The secret to living in the face of, of whatever challenges right now is to say, whatever God says, I'm going to believe it entirely as it relates to this challenge. And by entirely, I mean, and I'm going to fill this in quickly. I mean that what he says is true. I mean that what he says is right. And there's a difference between true and right in this sense. What he said was true. I'm going to send a global flood. That was true. What he said was right is this. He said, build the ark and you'll survive. It floated. (laughs) With all that was in it, it floated. And for a long time. What he says is true. What he says is right. And what he says is, is real, even when not yet visible. See, again, I don't know what your challenges are right now. (laughs) 
it's financial, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, what does God's word say about finances? And scour it for what it says about spending, saving, and sharing. Find everything that you can think about finances and then believe it entirely. Do what Noah did. What did he do? He did all that the Lord had commanded him. See, here's what happens. People are facing a financial challenge. They go, Doug, can you give me some insight? What's the scripture say? And so I give them insight and they go, yeah, I know. And then what's the word? But. And then they give me three reasons why they think that they really shouldn't do what God's word said. And then they wonder why their finances are sinking instead of floating. It's a good picture. Because you go, <laughs> you go, if Noah would have went, yeah, I hear the Lord on that dimension, but that just doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to do it this way. I think that would be better. And then as he's sinking, he's gone, oh, maybe the Lord was right. See, it's not an oversimplification. If a challenge in your life is singleness, see everything that the word says about singleness and believe it entirely. If your marriage is sinking, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Just look at what the scripture says about how marriage thrives instead of sinks. And then you don't need great faith. Just a seed of faith that says, God, I believe you are true. I believe you are right. I believe you are real. And though it seems hard and though it doesn't seem right and though that's going to be humbling, I'm going to do what it says and keep doing what it says. If you're struggling with your kids, just find out what everything God says about parenting and then seek to do it. Not because you'll do it perfectly, but seek to live it out. Whatever the challenge, if it's health, if it's fear, if it's worry, just see like I did for our good word from the Lord this week. Just see what Jesus says about worry in Matthew 6 and believe it entirely. And if we will, it's not about the size of our faith. It's about the size of our God who everything he says is true, everything he says is right, and everything he says is is real, even though it's not yet visible. Here, here's what I mean by that. We, Jackie and I had some friends one time who were struggling in their marriage, and so they came over and said, can you help? And, and so, uh, again, it wasn't complicated. It's pretty easy to see what was going on. And so we shared with the husband, here's what we need you to do. Showed it to him in the scriptures. And he sat there and he was like, yeah, you're right. 
This was like 15 years ago. 24 hours later, go to my door. He's standing there. You know what he tells me? It didn't work. I said, what do you mean? He said, I tried what you said. It didn't work. And I wouldn't be rude. I simply said, so you thought years of doing something else was going to all of a sudden be rectified by less than 24 hours of doing what the Lord said. It does work. It may not be visible yet. Keep on doing what the scripture says. It's not, I know some of you are screaming at the TV right now. It's not that simple. It really is. I didn't say it was easy. It's that simple. Take the Lord at his word entirely. And do so increasingly in every area of your life. I'm not saying your challenges will go away. I am saying you don't have to drown in them. It's going to take you some effort to go, uh, I'm going to work at discovering not only what the Lord says, but maybe memorizing what the Lord says, meditating on what the Lord says in order that I can continue to to do what the Lord says because I believe that it's about the size of my God, not about the size of my faith. If if I need lots of faith, it's because I've got a sketchy God. And I don't have a sketchy God. And if you have trusted in the God of the scriptures, you don't have a sketchy God. You have a, a faithful Lord, God Almighty, who you can trust in. Second, Noah's life teaches us that in the face of life's many challenges, large and small, we can trust not only in his word, but we can trust in his perfect timing. Yes, his word is perfect, and also his timing is perfect. And I want us to take a moment to think about this because few things are harder to trust God in than his timing. Because he seems oftentimes like so slow. God, when, when, when? Hurry up, when? And so I want us to look at Noah and timing. Because, uh, and I, I guess I didn't really think about it much, but growing up, I heard what? It rained 40 days and 40 nights. So I immediately, with very little thought, thought, ah, Noah, this was 40 days and 40 nights. He's on there. That's a long time, but 40 days, 40 nights. Uh-uh. <laughs> what it says is it rained for 40 days, 40 nights. So uh, let's look at the timing. The the scripture gives it to us, it lays it out in Genesis 7 and 8. It said on month 2, day 17, that the rain begins. This is when Noah is 600 years old. This is in Genesis chapter 7. On the the 17th day of the second month, rain begins. Watch. It's five months later 
the seventh month, the 17th day, that after five months, after 40 days and 40 nights, the water prevailing and then the water beginning to recede, that after five months, the ark then rests on Mount Ararat. Then, three months later, two and a half months later, the mountain peaks begin to be visible. Then, two months later, Noah takes the covering off the ark, it says, and he sees dry ground. But it wasn't until the end of the second month. So this is his 600th year, and now we're into his 601st year, that God says, go out. Now, when do you think Noah and the family are ready to get off the ark. Have you thought about it? Uh, with the whole animal kingdom? When are they ready to get off? Well, they're, they're glad they're on when the rain begins. And they're really glad that they're on for these five months. Uh, when... It rests in Mount Ararat. They stop floating. I'm sure they can feel like, hey, we're not moving. But I'm sure they're like, mm, I'm not ready to get off. Mountain peaks become visible. Now you're probably like, huh, I can see some dry ground. I can see some. I know it's just the peaks, but I can, I can live with the mountains. Let's get off. He's probably ready to get off when the mountain peaks are visible. But he doesn't. You know what he starts doing when the mountain peaks, peaks become visible? He starts sending out doves. You can read about this in Genesis 8. He sends out a dove, and the dove comes back, and nothing. So he waits a while, and then he sends out another dove, and the dove goes out, and it comes back with a branch in its mouth. He's like, hmm, that's good news. And then he waits a while, and he sends out another dove, and the dove doesn't come back. Hmm, even better news. So he's probably ready to get off, but he's not sure if he can until the dove can come back. But on the first day of the first month, it's a new year, Lord. Takes the covering off dry ground. <laughs> now, I wanted to be off for a couple months now. Now it's time. I... I I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but could there be a longer two months than this? <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. Could you not hear yourself saying, but God, I can see dry ground. What are we waiting on? Ever said that? Lord, what are we waiting on? waiting for a spouse. What are we waiting for? I'm waiting for a child. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for a job. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for a cure. What are you waiting for? This would have been a crazy two months. If I bring real life into this, that's a crazy two months in the life of Noah. Because you're ready Hey, I've been on a cruise before, and I love a cruise, but after five days, I'm ready to get off. 
a year and 10 days? And you have been seen like around you, dry ground for 60 days and you're still on there? God, what is up? So how do we work out what it means to trust the Lord's timing so that we don't rush ahead of him or lag behind? I think Noah teaches us three valuable principles. First, he collects data. He collects data with birds and his eyes. And in collecting data, he is seeking wisdom. Usually when, when we're trying to make an important decision or discern an important timing question, we not only collect data, but we have other people that we seek wisdom for. And this is really a little challenging for Noah because he's like, hey, babe, what are you thinking? Sons, what do you think? <laughs> the, the collected wisdom was not that prevailing. But I'm sure he, well, I'm going to guess they talked about it collected data. He was seeking wisdom. And the scripture says, you should seek wisdom. In fact, it's the fool who doesn't seek wisdom and the fool who doesn't listen to wisdom. So don't be that guy or that girl. He collects data. He seeks wisdom. And he listens for the Lord's leading. I think it's I think it's pretty compelling that if you look at the text carefully, Noah does not get off the ark until the Lord says, get off the ark. I don't know why uh, for sure. My guess is this. Noah said, Lord, I got on the ark when you told me to and I'll get off when you tell me to. I'm waiting on you. So uh, how do you and I uh, deal with that about timing questions? Do we always just say, well, Lord, and, uh, until you say so, we're not moving. I think this, here's the key. Do all three. The key is, do all three. And by that, I mean every single one of us has leanings one way or another. Uh, some of you who are watching right now go, oh, no, 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 no. I don't collect data. I, I don't seek wisdom. I just wait for the Lord to speak to me because that's most precious. And you know what? It's important to listen to the Lord. But you know how the Lord often speaks through data and wise counsel. So it's not unspiritual. Don't think that. It's not unspiritual to, to collect data and to seek wisdom. But, <laughs> nor should we just do these two. We shouldn't just go, well, I've studied the data and I've sought some counsel and therefore I don't need to seek the Lord. I don't need to listen for the Lord. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I know very well-known scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Now, understand what those two verses are saying. It doesn't say, hey, don't use your understanding. What did it say? It says, don't lean on your own understanding. We should absolutely recognize that God has given us the gifts of minds and the gifts of others to seek wisdom. So we should use it, but we should not lean on it as if he doesn't exist and he's not part of the equation. I use my understanding, but I do it while acknowledging him in every way. So, practically, struggling with the timing of the Lord, collect data, seek wisdom, and listen to his voice. You know, there's Joshua chapter 8, the Gibeonites. There's an example in scripture where they collected the data, they sought wisdom, and they didn't think they needed to seek the Lord. They leaned on their own understanding and they made an alliance with people who were deceiving them. If they would have sought the Lord, the Lord would have exposed it. So I use my understanding and then I say, Lord, if I'm missing something or if you have something for me other than what the data suggests, I am acknowledging you, I am trusting in you, I am waiting on you. And the great promise of scripture is this, if you will seek him, he will allow you to find him. He could hide from you, he won't. So seek the Lord and listen. In Noah's specific situation, Again, this is my guess. He's not prepared to get off the boat until the Lord says, because it was the Lord who told him to get on the boat. That's where we started in Genesis, uh, Genesis 7, verse 1. When he does get off, what is the first thing he does? Genesis 8, verse 20. When he gets off, here's the first thing he does. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. <laughs> Early on as a youth pastor, I took a, 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 about 10 of our youth out of the country for almost three weeks for our first youth short-term mission trip here at the chapel. And when we got back, I remember one of our young guys getting off the airplane and kissing the ground. He was so glad to be back in the land of America. I don't know if Noah kissed the ground or not because he was probably glad to be back on dry ground. I do know this. The first thing recorded that he does is he worships his God. And so... with a mustard seed of faith in the face of whatever is challenging in your life right now, 
I want to invite you and encourage you to, as Noah's life teaches us, to worship God in remembrance of who he is and all that he has done. You don't know what he's going to do. We talked about in our worship. He has moved, he is moving, and he will move. In the face of uncertainty of the future of how he will move, what do we do? We worship him for who he is and how he has and how he is in confidence. Not in our faith and the size of it, but in our God and who he is because he has revealed he is savior and he has repeatedly revealed that he is deliverer that he has repeatedly revealed he is our leader he is our counselor he is our provider he is our restorer when noah worshiped he worshiped god in remembrance that god had done all of this and i can say to you regardless of the unknown right now in your life Relationally, physically, financially, occupationally, whatever the unknown is, you do not need to have great faith, as in large amounts. You simply need a mustard seed and a great God who is your Savior, who is your deliverer and your leader and your counselor and your provider and your restorer. And that's just not what he did a long time ago. It's what he is doing now. And it ought to cause us to worship. See, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let someone in our congregation who just recently has experienced the provision of the Lord in a very personal and unique challenge in her life that led her to worship. And what I hope it's going to cause you to do is turn your volume up and worship with us as well. Listen to this story. COVID-19 has affected many of us in different ways. I wanted to take a moment to share with you how I have seen God work in my life and in the life of others during this unique time in history. One way I've seen God work in my own life was on Easter Sunday. Holidays, like for many of us, are big celebrations, and especially in my family. Single and living alone, I spent almost the entire day by myself. I started experiencing feelings of depression and loneliness that I hadn't felt in a long time especially on one of my favorite holidays, the day we remember and celebrate the Lord's resurrection. That afternoon, I recalled a book I had read years ago that described depression as having inward eyeballs. I knew that's what was happening to me as the hours passed since the church online service ended and the realization of not being with my family or friends turned my thoughts inward on myself and on my situation. I knew I was getting myself into a hole and the only person who could pull me out was the Lord. And so I cried out to him, and as hard as it was, I began turning my eyes upward. Shortly after this, I got a call from a dear friend who I met at CSC years ago, but had since moved away from the area. She immediately picked up that I was struggling 
and asked if I could do a video chat. Since my phone battery was dying, I plugged my phone into the kitchen wall, and there we talked about our day. I was honest about what was happening and what the Lord was showing me. She then asked if her and her grown children, who were home from college, could play the guitar, piano, and sing praise songs with me. My heart leaped with joy, and I knew this was the Lord meeting me right where I was. So there I stood in the middle of my kitchen, singing with my church family and praising God. It is true that He inhabits the praises of His people, and we were indeed designed for fellowship with Him and His people. As the tears were coming down my face, I knew that God had not forsaken me, and He knew exactly what His child needed. And as always, in difficult times, His timing was perfect.